Well, a few quick remarks before we get started. Uh, first, regarding the, the situations over the past few weeks with both the Knights of Malta on the one hand and the Bishops of Malta on the other. The Knights of Malta have been around since 1099. They have a, a great and noble history as, as crusaders and defending uh, the West from Islam. They, they're a sovereign government in exile, as it were, run from one property in Rome. So it's actually been a sovereign state till this last week. They have ambassadors to many nations, and they lost their sovereignty this past week. The bishops on their part uh, of Malta have just rejected the Catholic teaching on, on marriage, on confession, and on Holy Communion. We'll, we'll talk on that a little, we'll touch on that fall in a, in a later sermon in this series. But uh, as a friend of mine pointed out to me last night, a man of very deep prayer, uh, it's something about it. I think it's, it's something worth meditating. There's a really profound symbolism. The fact that both the Knights and Bishops of Malta have, have failed, have been routed at this time when uh, Malta always had uh, the, the significance of being protecting and preserving the West from centuries uh, from the very enemies we're about to be overrun. So Europe's about to be overrun. So very, very uh, symbolic of the, the situation we're in. Cultural. Secondly, on today's gospel, just a quick remark. It's our Lord calming the waves. He's sleeping in the boat, and the, and the people get scared and say, save us, you know, we're perishing, the apostles. And uh, a lot of people get really sort of chicken-littling about the, the state of the society, especially the church right now. And it is, I mean, it is bad, and it's going to get worse, so we just have to be realistic about that. But our Lord's in charge. Don't jump overboard. You're on the vessel of salvation, you want to stay there. Just pray, tie yourself on board with your rosary, and it'll be all right. It'll be a lot worse, but it'll be all right. You know, nobody gets out of this alive anyway, so we might just, once we have that attitude, we just stay close to Our Lady, we'll make it. Okay, so, as always, I've edited and cut it and pasted the, the quotes for the sermon. Ave Maria Prisma, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Now, several years ago, I had a startling conversation with a friend of mine, and I, I have her permission uh, to repeat it. But before we get into the particulars, uh, a little background will help understand the situation. So she's born in the late 50s. She's brought up Catholic in a fairly Catholic part of the country, actually. Attended a Catholic grade school that was run by teaching her sisters in habits through the eighth grade. She would have made her first communion sometime during the council, towards the end of the council. After grade school, she attended a Catholic high school run by another uh, teaching order. And then she uh, attended a Catholic women's college, also run by a teaching order of sisters. And after she graduated from college, she spent five years teaching a Catholic elementary school. Okay? And she's a practical Catholic the whole time. So she's a practicing Catholic, born in the late 50s, had an exclusively Catholic education all the way through college, and then spent five years teaching the Catholic school. So that's the background. And here's the little story. We're visiting and she told me, I always knew that the Eucharist was important. I always knew it was important for our faith. But I never knew that our Lord was really present there. I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know anything about the real presence. I said, what? You've had a Catholic education from kindergarten to college. Now just think, the nuns would have been in full habits throughout most of that time. Uh, you had a Catholic education from kindergarten to college. You taught in Catholic schools. You've been going to Mass, communion all those years. 
and he didn't know about the real presence? She said, no. She was in her 30s when she finally found out about the real presence, that the Lord was really present. Body, blood, soul, and divinity in the most blessed sacrament of the altar. A practicing Catholic, born in the late 50s, exclusively Catholic education, teaching sisters all the way through college. Five years teaching Catholic schools herself, and she didn't know about the real presence until she was in her 30s in a conversation with a devout Catholic. Now that's the crisis in the church. That one anecdote is a summary of the whole crisis in the church. I'm sorry to say that since that time, I've actually met a significant amount of other Catholics in this country with similar stories from that generation. There's a lot to think about there. There's a lot to think about. Just a few of the topics that spring to my mind when I think about this anecdote is how this relates to the crisis itself, the roots of the crisis, the fact that almost everybody goes to communion, but almost nobody goes to confession. The fact that almost anyone, you, you go in, almost no one in a church will make any sort of meaningful thanksgiving after Mass anymore. And frankly, how could they? given the almost total lack of reverence in the vast majority of our churches these days. That's just a few of the things that spring to my mind when I think about this. But today we don't have time to get into all that. We only have time to look at one aspect of this. We're going to take a closer look at Holy Communion. So we're going to take a closer look at the most blessed sacrament altar. But before we do that, let's remind ourselves of what we're doing right now. As we've noted over the past few weeks, we're having a Henry VIII moment right now in the Catholic Church. And it's an epic disaster. And as we also noticed over the past few weeks, in order to really appreciate the situation, and each one of us needs to appreciate and understand what's going on between the Pope and the four cardinals right now, Cardinal Burke and his companions, in order to really appreciate what's going on and why it matters, and it really matters, and every Catholic should understand what's going on. We need to get some perspective. And so as we've also noticed over the past few weeks, we need to start by reviewing some fundamental points in unchanging and unchangeable Catholic faith. So two weeks ago, we reviewed some of the basic teachings regarding marriage. Then last week, we reviewed some of the basic teachings regarding confession the sacrament of penance. And now today we're going to take a closer look at some of the basic teachings regarding Holy Communion. Now why these three sacraments? Because so far, the principal attack has been focused on these three sacraments. So after we finish this review, we'll be able to start tying everything together. So this is the theological background. So let's get started. Today we'll be writing heavily, but not exclusively, on the Catholic Catechism. It's an excellent catechism written some 85 years ago by Cardinal Gasperi. So Cardinal Gasperi, question. What is the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist? Answer. The sacrament of the Holy Eucharist is a sacrament instituted by Christ, wherein Jesus Christ himself, the author of grace, is truly, really, and substantially contained under the appearances of bread and wine for the spiritual refreshment of our souls. 
Now before we go on, we'll drive that point home. We'll move absolutely any doubt. We'll turn to the infallible teaching of the Council of Trent. And I quote from the Council of Trent. If anyone denies that the body blood, together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore the whole Christ, is truly, really, and substantially contained in the sacrament of the Most Holy Eucharist, but says that Christ is present in the sacrament only as in his sign or figure by, or by his power, let him be anathema. Okay, let's make sure all the young people here know what anathema means. Let him be anathema. So anathema is a Greek word, which literally means let him be turned over to evil. And so the expression let him be anathema means let him be excommunicated. Let him be thrown out of the church. Let him be turned over to evil. So that's what let him be anathema means. Okay. So that was the first one. Second, if anyone says that the substance of bread and wine remains in the Holy Sacrament of the Eucharist, together with the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, and denies that wonderful and extraordinary change of the whole substance of the bread into Christ's body, and the whole substance of the wine into his blood, will only the species, that means appearances, will only the species of bread and wine remain, a change which the Catholic Church has most fittingly called transubstantiation, let him be anathema. And finally, if anyone denies that in the venerable sacrament of the Eucharist, the whole Christ is contained under each species, under each appearance, the appearance of blood and wine, and under each and every portion of either species when it's divided up, let him be anathema. So that's the Council of Trent. Now, St. Augustine, in this regard, made some very powerful points about the sacrament, of, of uh, the most blessed sacrament, and they're worth uh, reflecting on. St. Augustine, although God is all-powerful, he is unable to give more. Although God is all-knowing, he knows not how to give more. Although God is vastly rich, he has not more to give. We continue. Question, why did Christ institute the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist? Answer, Christ instituted the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist, one, that out of his deep love for us, he might ever remain present in our midst and thus induce us to love and worship him. And two, that he might be united to us in Holy Communion, that he might be the heavenly food of our souls and thus enable us to safeguard and preserve our spiritual life and find that he might be our viaticum for our journey to eternity at the close of our lives. Question. In order to receive the Holy Eucharist worthily, what is required? Answer. In order to receive the Holy Eucharist worthily, in addition to being baptized, for baptism is a prerequisite for the reception of any other sacrament, which parenthetically is why Our Lady was baptized. Although as a Immaculate Conception, she's absolutely uh, free, of, completely free from any sin, original or actual, so Our Lady was baptized so she could receive communion. And the tradition is our Lord baptized her. The tradition is our Lord did two baptisms, Our Lady and St. Peter. And St. Peter baptized the other apostles. In order to receive the Holy Eucharist, we're in addition to being baptized for baptism, a prerequisite for the reception of any other sacrament, and in the state of grace, we must also, under pain of grave sin, keep the Eucharistic fast. As St. John Baptist de la Salle says, quote, Approach the sacred banquet with the same dispositions that you would desire in order to enter heaven. One should not have less respect in receiving Jesus 
than in being received by him. Close quote. So in order to receive communion worthily, we must be baptized. We've got to be in the state of grace and kept the fast. Obviously, we have to be Catholics in good standing who actually believe everything the church proposes to teach. Question, what should a person do when about to receive Holy Communion discovers he's in a state of mortal sin? Answer, a person who when about to receive Holy Communion discovers he's in a state of mortal sin should, even if he feels that he's truly contrite, go to confession first. The Council of Trent, quote, no one who has a mortal sin on his conscience shall dare receive the Holy Eucharist before making a sacramental confession, regardless of how contrite he may think he is. The Holy Council declares that this custom is to be kept forever by all Christians, close quote. In other words, it doesn't matter what some priest says, what some priest has told you. If you have even one mortal sin on your soul, you must go to confession before you receive communion. Question, what does the Eucharistic fast mean? Answer, the Eucharistic fast means that from one hour before the time of receiving communion, we take nothing by way of food or drink, excepting only water and medicine. Question, what sin do we commit if we receive the Holy Communion not fasting or not in the state of grace? Answer, if we receive Holy Communion not fasting or not in the state of grace, we commit a grave sin of sacrilege, which is the abuse of holy things. Huh? The great Franciscan, Father Stefano Manali, F.I., has some very enlightening comments in this regard. Quote, Holy Communion must be received only when one is in the grace of God. Therefore, when one has committed a mortal sin, even if one has repented of it and has a great desire to receive Holy Communion, it is necessary and indispensable to go to confession first before receiving Holy Communion. Otherwise, one commits the most grave sin of sacrilege, for which Jesus said to St. Bridget, there does not exist on earth a penalty great enough to punish it sufficiently. St. Ambrose says that persons who commit this sacrilege come to church with a few sins and leave it burdened with many. St. Cyril of Alexandria wrote even more bluntly, they who make a sacrilegious communion receive Satan and Jesus Christ in their hearts. Satan, they may let him rule, and Jesus Christ, they may offer him in a sacrifice as a victim to Satan. Thus the Catechism of the Council of Trent declares, as of all the sacred mysteries, none can compare with the Eucharist, so likewise for no crime is there heavier punishment to be feared from for God than for the whole unholy or irreligious use of, by the faithful of that which contains the very author and source of holiness. And frankly, I think a lot of the crisis in the church is an immediate result of this. The priest not hearing the confessions not preaching the people to go to confession and having everybody go to communion. We are going to be chastised for that as a Catholic people. Reparation must be made. We can't make enough communions of reparation on First Fridays to make up for what happens every Sunday. We can't. 
Indeed, confession made before Holy Communion to render a soul already in the state of sanctifying grace, pure and more beautiful, is something precious, even if not required. It's precious because it clothes the soul with a more beautiful wedding garment in which to take its place at the table of the angels. For this reason, the most conscientious souls have always made frequent use, at least once a week, of the sacramental cleansing of absolution, even for venial sins. If you want great purity of soul before receiving Jesus, none is brighter than the purity obtained through a good confession, where the cleansing blood of Jesus tenders the repentant soul divinely resplendent and lovely. St. Mary Magdalene de Piazzi declared that the soul that receives the divine blood becomes beautiful, for it is clothed in a more precious garment, and appears so resplendently aglow that if you could see it, you would be tempted to adore. Thus far, Manelli. Question. When is Holy Communion allowed without fasting? Answer. Canon 919 of the 1983 Code of Canon Law spells out the conditions when Holy Communion is allowed without fasting. I quote the canon. The elderly and those who are suffering from some illness, as well as those who care for them, may receive the Blessed Eucharist even if within the preceding hour they have consumed something. Close quote. And of course, Holy Communion is always allowed without fasting when it's necessary in order to prevent some irreverence to the Blessed Sacrament. One would, would consume the host right then, or, or, or even a whole ciborium uh, with the people breaking in, you know, and, and some persecution. You, it doesn't matter if you just finish breakfast. You just spit out whatever's in your mouth and start consuming the host as quick as you can. Question, how long should one abstain from food and drink after receiving Holy Communion? Answer. To answer that question, we rely on a work first published some 80 years ago, Moral and Pastoral Theology, Father Henry Davis, S.J. Quote, when it is necessary to take food or drink immediately after receiving communion, no sin is committed by doing so. But there is considerable difference of opinion as to its sinfulness if there is no just excuse. The reasons for thinking it sinful are that it is irreverent to mix common food with the sacred species. We believe that reverence to the sacred presence should always be shown by abstaining from food for a little time, that is to say, a quarter of an hour. Close quote. Question, what is necessary for receiving Holy Communion devoutly? Answer, in his decree on daily reception of the Holy Eucharist, Pope St. Pius X teaches that to receive Holy Communion devoutly, quote, care should be taken that due preparation should precede Holy Communion, and a fitting thanksgiving follow it, according to each person's capacity, state of life, and duties. Close quote, the Vicar of Christ. Question, in what does preparation for Holy Communion consist? Answer, preparation for Holy Communion consists in meditating attentively and devoutly, devoutly for a while on what we're about to receive and making diligent acts of faith, hope, charity, and contrition. Question, in what does Thanksgiving after Holy Communion consist? Answer, Thanksgiving after Holy Communion consists in meditating attentively and devoutly for a while on what we have received and making acts of faith, hope, and charity with good resolutions, acts of gratitude, and petitions. You know, in fact, one of the absolutely infallible signs of the spiritual health of a parish is the number of faithful making a fitting Thanksgiving after Mass. You go to a Mass, see that afterwards, you know, you know everything you need to know about the spiritual health of that parish, just like that. But Father, I don't see you making a fitting Thanksgiving after Mass. Actually, you do. 
St. Paul the Cross teaches that the most fitting thanksgiving a priest can possibly do is to hear the confessions of the faithful. That's why you see me head back to the confessional after every Mass, except on the last Sunday of the month when I go bless things, and then I go into the confessional. Then later on I spend more time uh, privately make my thanksgiving. These aren't just words. I have a soul to save, too. When I'm preaching, it's not like I deal myself out of this thing. We're all in it together, and I got more, I got account, more to account for than you do. We turn again to the remarks of the great Franciscan Father Stefano Manelli. Quote, The time of Thanksgiving after Holy Communion is the most ideal time for an intimate exchange of love with Jesus. Let it be a love of total self-giving, thus returning Jesus' love so wholeheartedly that there's no longer two of us, but one, so to speak, in soul and body. Let it be a love that vivifies and unites he and me and I and him so that we may be consumed in the unity and uniqueness of his love. A father of the church, Saint Cyril of Alexander, used three analogies, water, yeast, and wax, to illustrate the union that love brings with Christ in Holy Communion. He who receives communion is made holy and is divinized in soul and body in the same way that water set over fire begins to boil. Communion works like yeast that has been mixed into dough, so it leavens the whole mass. Just as by melting two candles together, one piece of wax results, so I think one who receives the flesh and blood of Jesus is by this communion fused with him. And the soul discovers that she is in Christ, and Christ is in her. The saints chosen possible to set no time limit on Thanksgiving after communion, which consequently might last for them at least half an hour. St. Teresa of Jesus told her daughters, let us entertain ourselves loving with Jesus, and not waste the hour that follows communion. It is an excellent time to deal with God and put before him the matters that concern our soul. We should take great care not to lose so beautiful an opportunity to treat with him and lay our needs before him. St. Mary Magdalene de Piazzi said, the minutes that follow communion are the most precious we have in our lives. They are the minutes best suited on our part for treating with God and on his part for communicating his love to us. Let us also resolve to do everything possible so that Thanksgiving after Holy Communion lasts at least 15 minutes and let nothing take precedence over it. These minutes during which Jesus is physically present to our souls and within our bodies are heavenly minutes in no wise to be wasted. In 1 Corinthians 6.20, the Apostle St. Paul wrote, Glorify and bear God in your body. There's no time in which these words, taken literally, apply so well as to the time immediately after receiving Holy Communion. How insensitive, then, for someone to receive communion and leave church once his Mass is over, as soon as he's received our Lord. We may well remember the example of St. Philip Neri, who had two altar boys go to accompany a man who had left the church right after his communion because he's processing around with our Lord. So he had the altar boys walking on, as he's walking home. And finally, the guy goes, what are you doing? And he realized he stayed for Thanksgiving after that because he realized, what am I doing? What am I doing? Why did I go to communion if I wasn't going to spend that time? Huh? What a beautiful lesson. For the sake of good manners, if for no other reason, when a person receives a guest, he pauses to give his attention to him and take interest in him. If this guest is Jesus, then we will only have reason to be sorry that his bodily presence within us scarcely lasts 15 minutes or a little more. Are we not perhaps acting contrary to the example of saints when we regard our period of thanksgiving as too long and perhaps feel it impatient to get it over with? 
But how we should look, watch ourselves for here. For if it is true at every community Jesus gives us a hundredfold of the hospitality we show him, as St. Teresa of Avila declares, then it is also true that we must answer a hundredfold for neglecting that hospitality. Let us give the matter serious thought and attention. When it comes to something so precious as this Thanksgiving, let us take to heart the Holy Spirit's admonition from Ecclesiastes 14.14. Let not your share of desired good pass you by. There's a special beauty of Thanksgiving made in the company of Our Lady of the Annunciation. Immediately after, after communion, we too carry Jesus within our souls and bodies, as, as the All-Holy Mary did at the Annunciation. We cannot adore and love Jesus better at that moment than by uniting ourselves to the Blessed Mother of God, by making ours the same sediments of adoration and love she entertained for her divine Son Jesus enclosed within her immaculate womb. Our Lady is the heavenly bond that unites Jesus to us. She's the knot of love between Jesus and her creatures, his creatures. Our Lady, said the Holy Cure of ours, stays always between her Son and us. When we pray to Jesus with her, when we adore him and love him with the heart of Our Lady, our every prayer and every act of adoration and love become pure and precious. St. Maximilian Mary Colby said that when we entrust something to the Immaculata, she, before pre presenting it to Jesus, purifies it of every defect. She makes it immaculate. The Holy Curie of ours also remarked, when our hands have touched aromatic substances, these render fragrant all they touch. Let us allow our prayers to pass through the hands of Our Lady, and she will make them fragrant. Let us make our thanksgiving after Holy Communion pass through Immaculate Heart. She will transform it into the most pure canticle of adoration and love. From this, or for this, the meditated recitation of the Holy Rosary, especially the joyful mysteries, as many saints teach us, can be helpful. Who will ever indeed be able to know perfectly the divinity of Jesus, adore him, love him, and let him be divinized, as Our Lady was at the message of the angel? Who will ever be able to bear Jesus alive within himself and remain deeply united to him in adoration and love, as Our Lady did in the mystery of the visitation? Who will ever be able to be filled with Jesus to beget him, present him to others as the Virgin Mother in the cave of Bethlehem? Let us try this. We cannot but gain and benefit remain united to Our Lady in order to love Jesus with her heavenly heart. Thus, Father Manelli. Question. What ought we particularly to ask for after Holy Communion? Answer. After Holy Communion, we should particularly ask our Lord for the graces necessary for our own and our neighbor's salvation, more especially the grace of final perseverance, for the church that she may prevail against your enemies, and for the souls of the faithful departed. And a point of fact, that's a summary of the exact petitions that we make together after Mass. Question. What effect does Holy Communion produce in those who receive it worthily and devoutly? Answer. In those who receive it worthily and devoutly, Holy Communion produces the following effects. One, it increases sanctifying grace and the fervor of charity. Two, it remits venial sins. And three, it does much to secure final perseverance by lessening concupiscence, that desire, the disordered desire for pleasure, does much to secure final perseverance by lessening concupiscence, preserving them from mortal sin, and strengthening them in the practice of good works. Question, how often should we receive Holy Communion? 
Answer, one traditional catechism put it very well. Quote, Christ commanded us to receive Holy Communion when he said, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you shall not have life in you. It is the food of our souls. Holy Communion increases in us the life of grace. During the persecution against Christianity in China, now this was written before the communists took power, this is written in the 30s, so he's most likely referring to the persecutions of Boxer Rebellion, which is roughly 120 years ago. Holy Communion increases in us the life of grace. During the persecution against Christianity in China, the grace given to the martyrs was noticed by the pagans themselves. The victims were cruelly scourged and tortured, but they continued firm in their faith and professed it openly and fearlessly. The infidels, amazed at such fortitude, said, now listen to this, these are the pagans. Truly, these people have been eating of that Eucharistic bread which they partake of in their assemblies. It casts a spell upon their souls. Close quote. Well, it's not a spell, it's our Lord. But the pagans, we're talking about the pagans. The grace given to the martyrs is noticed by the pagans themselves. The victims are cruelly scourged, they're tortured, but they're continuing firm in their face, and they're professing furiously, courageously in the face of these pagans. And the pagans are amazed at this fortitude. And what did they say? I'll repeat that. Truly these people have been eating of that Eucharistic bread which they partake of in their assemblies. It has cast a spell upon their souls. The pagans could see the effect that Holy Communion had on the martyrs. And the pagans even recognized the source of the martyrs' strength. In that same vein, we hear the story of the great St. Vincent de Paul. One day, he gathers his priests together and he asks them, Have you all celebrated Mass? Yes, they all replied. Then, responded St. Vincent, I can now tell you what this entails. You must abandon your country, family, friends, and go into exile in a strange land in order to speak to, about God to the savages, and afterwards certainly die miserably. Immediately, all those priests, being filled with Jesus, generously offer themselves for that dangerous mission to save souls. It should go without saying, that for everyone, Christ in the, in the Eucharist is the true bread which makes them strong. It's the nourishment of heroes. It's the sustenance of martyrs. It's a comfort to souls in their last agony. St. Robert Bellman would preach against the errors of the Protestants in this manner. I quote from the Holy Doctor. The bread of wheat that nourishes our body is not prepared with so much labor only to be contemplated. It is made to be eaten. Thus, the bread of life, the bread of angels, is not offered only for our adoration and homage, but was given to us as food. Let us go then and partake of this food to nourish and fortify our souls. We continue. The church enforces this command of Christ by requiring on the pain of grievous sin to communicate at Easter time. This is called the Easter duty. However, the church desires us to go more frequently. If the body can't do without food, how can the soul? Some persons say they're not good enough to go to daily communion. They should remember that, that the Eucharist is not meant as a reward of virtue, but as an aid to the attainment of virtue. So long as one is in the state of grace and has the right intention, he should receive Holy Communion as often as he can. The Holy Eucharist was not instituted for angels, but for men. 
close quote, my Catholic life. Now, unfortunately, I know at least one priest, I actually know him, that instructs the faithful under his charge that even if they are properly disposed, they should fast from communion now and then so as to appreciate it more when they receive it again. This is not just insane, it's actually evil. The Chinese pagans, the pagans could re recognize the amazing effect of Holy Communion on Catholic mothers, and yet we have priests that want people to receive less when they're properly disposed. It's insane. It's insane. My personal opinion is such priests should be instantly removed from any pastoral ministry, whatever, and sent to a cloistered monastery to do penance for the rest of their lives and kept away from the faithful. But of course, that's not going to happen. The most blessed sacrament is our Lord Himself, the very source of truth and grace and holiness. And if we're actually serious about growing in holiness, then we're going to be serious about wanting to receive our Lord as often as we can and we're properly disposed. We only have so many opportunities to receive Holy Communion in this life. It's a finite number. And life is short. We don't want to miss a single opportunity for this opportunity to grow in grace and holiness and union with our Lord. As long as someone's in the state of grace and has the right intention, he should receive Holy Communion as often as he can. The Holy Eucharist was not instituted for angels, but for men. Question, when a person has already received Holy Communion, can he receive it again on the same day? Answer, Canon 917 of the current code of canon law states, quote, one who has received the Blessed Eucharist may receive it again on the same day, only within a Eucharistic celebration in which that person participates, close quote. The present law is that a person may receive Holy Communion the second time on the same day, but only on the occasion of participating in Mass, unless, of course, there's a danger of death, in which case he can receive another time. The late uh, Father Hardin, S.G., uh, said that uh, this provision was inserted uh, into the new Code of Canon Law directly by John Paul II himself. Uh, the, the precise reason that St. John Paul II inserted it was that the times were so evil that he thought this was warranted. In other words, the social conditions, the state of society was so evil that receiving the spiritual food was more necessary for the faithful than ever, even twice a day when possible. And I take that as a clear papal indication of how really far gone things were by 1983. The most blessed sacrament is our Lord himself, the very source of grace and truth and holiness. If we're serious about growing in holiness, we're serious about receiving at any opportunity. The Holy Eucharist was not instituted for angels, but for men. Now that's enough for today. Let's close with a few more thoughts from Father Manelli. In Holy Communion, Jesus gives himself to me and becomes mine, all mine, his body, blood, soul, and divinity. Jesus enters my heart and remains corporally present in me as long as the species, as long as the appearance of bread lasts, that is, for about 15 minutes. The Holy Fathers teach that during this time, the angels surround me to continue to adore Jesus and love him without interruption. St. Bernard wrote, When Jesus is corporally present within us, the angels surround us as a guard of love. Guess what? How many times has an angel ever received communion? Never. We can do something they can't do. If it were possible for an angel, a holy angel, to be jealous, and it's not, they would be jealous of this privilege we have. And they surround us as an honor guard, and they're in awe when we receive Holy Communion. St. Pius X said, if the angels could envy, they would envy us for Holy Communion. 
All the saints have understood by experience the divine marvel of our meeting and our union with Jesus in the Eucharist. They have understood the devout communion means being possessed by Him and possessing Him. It is not possible to have a union of love which is deeper and more total. He and me, and I and Him. The one and the other. What more could we want? St. John Chrysostom said, You envy the privilege of the woman who touched the vestments of Jesus. The privilege of the sinful woman who washed his feet with her tears. The privilege of the women of Galilee who had the happiness of following him in his pilgrimages. The privilege of the apostles and disciples who conversed with him familiarly. The privilege of the people that time who listened to the words of grace and salvation which came forth from his lips. You consider fortunate those who saw him. But come to the altar and you will see him. When you receive communion, you will feel him. You will give him holy kisses. You will wash him with your tears. You will carry him within you like Mary most holy. Come to the altar and you will see him. When you receive holy communion, you will feel him. You will give him holy kisses. You will wash him with your tears. You will carry him within you.